This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, Season 3, Episode 6, Police Root Out Racism from the Ranks, A Few Bad Apples or Systemic Racism. Three of California's largest police forces have published a list of reforms aimed at rooting out racist officers. The intent of the agenda is to identify who those individuals are and to root them out of the law enforcement profession. The proposal is a blueprint for police departments nationwide to develop policies and procedures to combat racism. Again, it bears repeating that law enforcement is highly decentralized in this country and it is under local control. Unlike many countries, especially in Europe, with national police forces, which are controlled by the central government. You have to remember, there are 17,985 police forces and law enforcement agencies in the United States. And only about 300 are federally controlled. The rest are local police departments, sheriff's departments, highway patrol departments, school police, so on and so forth. All of them are local police departments. They're controlled by locally elected officials and professional standards vary enormously. The tradition of local police control dates back to colonial times when providing public services and public safety services to isolated small frontier communities was the primary and usually sole function of local government. As the nation grew to encompass 3.5 million square miles and 330 million people, That original tradition of local control, reflective of a community's culture and ethnic makeup, has continued. A one-size-fits-all approach would probably not work in a country which stretches from the Arctic Ocean in the north to the Caribbean in the south, the Atlantic on the east coast, and the Pacific Ocean on the west coast. So the move by the police unions of Los Angeles, San Francisco, and San Jose to tackle a common problem with a unified agenda is groundbreaking. The fact that it is the unions which are leading the charge against racism is very important. Virtually every police force in this country has a union to represent rank-and-file officers, and to engage in collective bargaining with the cities which employ them. In addition to wages and benefits, these collective bargaining agreements usually extend to police discipline, procedures, grievance management, and the forceful representation of officers in the event of a threatened dismissal from the police force. The fact that they are highlighting 
racism in the ranks and providing leadership to stop it is an important change. It sends a very clear signal, not only to the rank and file officers in those police departments, it sends a clear signal to the local politicians also that there is going to be a new day with regard to the police unions support for rooting out racism from police departments. It's really quite important. The six proposed changes the unions are supporting include, number one, a national database of all former officers fired for gross misconduct to prevent other forces from rehiring them. Number two, a national use of force standard that emphasizes the reference for life. Number three, de-escalation and a duty on the part of officers to intercede if excessive force is used by one of their fellow officers. And also that proportional responses to dangerous incidents are always required. And of course, accountability of officers at all time. Number four, an early warning system to identify officers who need more training and mentoring. Number five, ongoing and frequent crisis intervention and de-escalation training for officers is proposed. And finally, number six, a use of force analysis website that all officers can consult at any time. Some of these reforms, like the National Database, were included in the Democrat Reform Plan, which was unveiled last week. Further, the three unions are issuing a joint statement acknowledging that there are racist police officers in their midst and that the unions are committed to finding them and to getting rid of them. While acknowledging that the progress that each of their forces have made in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and San Jose, they also go on to say that more needs to be done to improve policing in America. Now, it has to be said that the issue of racism in American policing has been around for hundreds of years. Uh, it was around at the time of slavery, long before slavery, it was, it was part of the part of the process. However, over the last 50, 60 years, hiring practices have, uh, with all major police forces, and I dare say all police forces, hiring practices have focused on impl implicit bias, racism, attitudes such as those. Hiring practices have been tailored to identify such attitudes on the part of candidates and to eliminate them immediately. In addition, the psychological profiling which is required for rookies coming into the San Francisco Police Department, for instance, and the ongoing screening, psychological screening, which is required for all officers in the field, 
sets a very high standard and a very high bar, and most importantly, provides an early warning system for the management, the leadership, the command staff of the police force to know that they may have a problem officer on their hand. That officer may have passed the initial screening when they got in uh, and not showing any racist tendencies or violence uh, tendencies, etc. But over time, those attitudes and that conduct may emerge and it's through the ongoing psychological profiling that those uh, those conducts and those attitudes can be can be identified and nipped in the bud, and those officers can be retrained. So that ongoing monitoring through psychological testing and profiling of police once they get into the force that has been in place certainly in San Francisco and I think in most other major city police departments for many years. Their their proposal and their statement was announced with full-page ads in the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the San Jose Mercury News on Monday morning today. Los Angeles is the third largest police department in the nation, and San Francisco is the 11th largest police department. Again, to build a groundswell of support among California's leading police departments, these three police unions from the leading police departments have now laid the groundwork for establishing local policies and procedures to combat racism in policing. And of course, it will begin here in California first. We expect that uh, the LA, San Francisco, and San Jose police forces, which are regarded as uh, progressive and very high standard in the state of California, they will hopefully set the standard for combating racism and the new policies and procedures which will flow from this groundbreaking document will be adopted by other police forces in California and hopefully beyond. But it needs to be said that our police forces have been undergoing reforms for decades since at least the 1960s, if not earlier. The San Francisco Police Department, for instance, and that is the one that I'm most familiar with, of course, is the 11th largest in the country. It's very, very diverse. It's 48% white, 16.5% Asian, 16.7% Latino, 9% Black, and 5% Filipino. Over the last 25 years, the San Francisco Police Department has had two Asian American chiefs and two African American chiefs. The 2016 Department of Justice Consent Decree studied the San Francisco Police Department in depth and came up with 272 recommendations for improvement. Many have already been implemented and most successfully their recommendations regarding use of force has resulted in use of force incidents being down by 47% from 2016 when the Department of Justice first came into the San Francisco Police Department, it's down by 47% between 2016 and 2019. However, 
racial disparities still persist in use of force statistics. And so more work needs to be done in that area. But overall, use of force by the San Francisco Police Department is down by 47% in a three-year span. Other cities have also been subject to Department of Justice consent decrees, including Cleveland, Baltimore, New Orleans, Philadelphia, to mention but a few. And so, so the, 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 the point is the Department of Justice has been working with a host of some of the major police departments, of course, Ferguson, in um, in Missouri, which is not a major police department, but uh, it rose to prominence with the, the killing of uh, Michael Brown. So the Department of Justice has been taking a has been taking a role, and a whole host of police departments throughout the country have been reforming themselves based on either recommendations from the Department of Justice or from their own internal good management and community policing standards. The lead that Los Angeles, San Francisco, and San Jose are giving in the fight against racism in the wake of the George Floyd killing is exemplary. Let's take a look at racism in the ranks. There are two schools of thought. One, let's call it the bad apple school of thought, which holds that there are isolated but very few officers who hold racist views in police departments. On the other hand, we hear the charge of systemic racism, call that the, the second school of thought, that uh, systemic racism uh, pervades the police departments and that all of our police departments are hopelessly riddled with systemic racism. That's a second school of thought. Again, there are 17,985 police departments and law enforcement agencies in the United States. Los Angeles, San Francisco, and San Jose have today acknowledged that there are racist officers in their ranks. That's a major step. So, is racism an isolated and very occasional problem? Or are departments riddled with institutionalized and systemic racism? The three police unions did not attempt to define systemic racism, but instead their focus is on the individual officer. And that's where the problem lies. The problem lies with an individual officer who has slipped through the net in terms of screening policies and screening practices and profiles when they were being hired. That's where the problem seems to lie from a management perspective. And it's that individual officer and his or her beliefs and practices, which may appear, which may be racist, which need to be identified, re-educated, corrected, and if not, if that doesn't work, then they have to be fired. In the case of the bad apple school, 
if it truly were as isolated as that, just one single officer, it's still problematic. Insofar as other officers who are not racist stay silent in the face of racist comments, racist conduct, and we saw this with the George Floyd case where none of the three officers uh, appeared to intervene or to stop Derek Chauvin. So in those cases, even the innocent non-racist officer might appear to condone the views of the racist officer, even when they are consciously attempting to distance, distance themselves from that conduct and from that officer. How is the public to know that the offending officer making the racist comment or with the racist conduct is a minority of one? They can't know that. And they will probably assume, the public that is, that the other officers share those same racist views and that same racist conduct. So the bad apple needs to be identified quickly, needs to be retrained, and if he or she is not trainable or is incorrigible, they need to be fired. It's just that simple. The department as a whole cannot run the risk of being perceived to tolerate racist views or conduct by any of its officers. Some departments are more efficient and more proactive than others in this regard. Then there is the systemic racism argument that police departments are hopelessly biased and riddled with institutional racism. Heather McKnight, who was a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, a think tank in New York, recently wrote in a Wall Street Journal opinion that there is no such thing as systemic racism in the police department. That's a, a very strong point of view. I'm simply sharing that with you. Um, you. Her name is Heather McKnight, and she wrote this opinion in the Wall Street Journal uh, quite recently. And again, her point is that modern police forces today are driven by crime data and community demands for help, and especially minority communities. That is where most are being hurt by violent street crime. In another article in the City Journal, McKnight cites some disturbing crime statistics. Blacks between the ages of 10 and 43 are 13 times more likely to be homicide victims than whites. 13 times more likely to be homicide victims. In New York City, for example, blacks account for 73% of all shooting victims. However, they only make up 23% of the population of New York, yet they represent 73% of all shooting victims. A huge disparity there. Community requests for help determine where the police are deployed. And the most urgent requests for police come from law-abiding citizens in high crime neighborhoods. Again, McKnight's point is that there is no such thing as systemic racism in police departments. 
and that if there is racism, it's at an individual level as opposed to an institutional level. And again, I refer you to the article that she wrote in the Wall Street Journal if you wish to pursue that train of thought. The most responsible approach, in my view, is to focus on the reforms proposed by the three California police unions and to give the police the policy and procedural tools to identify, re-educate, and if necessary, fire the officers who make racist statements or engage in racist conduct. Once again, public safety is one of the basic services we expect from local government, and that has been the case in the United States since colonial times. In fact, before there was a United States, public safety was the basic service which government provided to its citizens. And that is still the case today. And it will continue to be. Everyone must have the same sense of confidence that when they call on a police officer or they encounter a police officer, they will be helped, that they will not be hindered, that they will not be hassled. That is what happens in the vast majority of such cases. And I'm glad that I live in San Francisco because that has always been my experience with the San Francisco Police Department. If the price for extending that same high degree of confidence to the African-American community is to weed out officers who slip through the screening net of recruitment in the first place, so be it. No one benefits from having an officer represent the police who does not meet the minimum job requirements. It wouldn't be tolerated in the private sector for any client-facing professional in a private sector company who insulted or attacked a customer or a client, they would be fired immediately. That same standard, I'm glad to see, appears to be proposed by the LAPD, SFPD, and San Jose PD. No other service organization would tolerate it, and nor should the police. And it's good to see that the San Francisco Police Department, the Los Angeles Police Department, and the San Jose Police Department are heading the charge to stand by their screening and hiring policies to get rid of racist officers and to make sure that all of the fine men and women who are part of the law enforcement agencies here in California and throughout the country are not besmirched with the, the brush of racism, because that is certainly not the experience that I see here in San Francisco. My sources for today's podcast include the Wall Street Journal, Vox, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the Marshall Project. This has been your host, Jim Herlihy for the San Francisco Experience, reporting from San Francisco, America's favorite city.